So we had to, on those foundation issues, we had to lift all four built or each building at the same time. So each building had to be lifted, the whole building, right? So which meant that all, all of the bottom eight units had to be vacant at the same time. So we would, we, it seemed like every single building, all four buildings, we had one holdout on the bottom floor that would not move. And I mean, I, I offered them 500 bucks, a thousand bucks to move. They wouldn't do it. Um, and so we had to keep the whole bottom floor vacant of that building until their lease expired and we could not renew them, right? Um, so that, that, that killed us. Um, As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey everybody and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I have the great pleasure of having Kenny Wolf with me on the day. Kenny, how are things down in the Fort Worth, Texas area? Uh, they're great, man. We're, yeah, we're, uh, we're here in Plano, Texas. Uh, they, um, I mean, life is good. It's supposed to get cold down to 42 tonight, but other than that, uh, you know, cold, we're cold for us in April, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was 90 degrees here in Greensboro a couple of days ago, so. Oh, wow, yeah. Just up and down, just like everything else is crazy in the world right now. Absolutely. Kenny, do me a favor and uh, tell me a little bit about your background and what you've been working on. Yeah, so we've been uh, investing in multifamily assets for over nine years now. Uh, got started in 2010. That's a great time to get started. Um, and then uh, we've grown to now we're over 4,000 units that we've been a part of um, over five different states. Uh, right now we're down to four states. We sold our deal in Colorado. So we're in Texas, Oklahoma. Louisiana and Ohio, um, and then we're in multiple markets in Ohio and Texas um, on that front. And then uh, about two years ago, I got frustrated with third-party management, so I bought my own. Uh, so I bought into an existing multifamily uh, management company. Um, we're on the hunt for a second one there to acquire another one there in Ohio. That way, all of our stuff is basically in-house um, on that. And then two years ago, we branched out, started buying um, some other assets too. So we also invest in uh, triple net properties. Um, we own $13 stores in three different states. Um, we do um, hard money lending as well. We just funded a boutique hotel in Dallas uh, in January. And then fourth and final thing that we do is uh, ground up development. So we're working on an 88 unit ground up multifamily property now in Dallas, Fort Worth. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's a whole Same lot. Here's <laughs> What were you doing before you jumped into multis? Uh, so before multifamily, um, I was in oil and gas. I was, in a, I was a CFO at the age of 28 um, of a spinoff company. Uh, in there, they shipped us over to Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, so we did that for three years. And then um, oil and gas is, is highly cyclical, as anybody that uh, has studied it at all. But uh, so anyway, so we jumped in right into multifamily. So I've never owned a single family rental in my life. Uh, I jumped right into multifamily. Um, so it's pretty awesome. Our first indication deal was 76 units. So I went from zero to 76. So, wow. So were you the lead on your first deal or you came in as an LP or what? Well, so my first, first two deals were passive. So one was a 200 unit deal in Dallas in Arlington, Texas. And the other one was 154 units. Uh, those are two passive deals. One was a yield play and one was a value play. So I could kind of see, see both business models. Um, and then third deal we did was a syndication deal of 76 units uh, here in Dallas, Fort Worth. Wow. So are you a part of like an investor group or how did you get? Um, I was. I'm, I'm, I'm an alumni from two guru groups, actually. So 
Uh, but now I'm now now I'm a free agent, so I, I I like that's that's much better now. But uh, but I did I started there. I think that's a good place to start for some folks. Um, you know, I'd say probably of the folks that actually paid the high 20, 30K, whatever it is to get to do that, to do the one-on-one mentorship, probably only 20% actually do a deal, uh, which is, you know, which is horrible, but that's just kind of what it is. Kenny, that's one of my pet peeves and part of the reason why we started our educational programming. It's just, I don't think you have to buy a used BMW or Mercedes to figure out if you're going to be successful in this business. And so. Right. Well, I, I totally agree. I, we have folks that ask me if it's worth it. And I said, well, if you, if you, if you feel like you need to raise money in those groups, then maybe, you know, that to me was the biggest benefit of those groups is how much money can you raise in that group, your first deal? Cause if you can raise a million dollars, well, that, that means you can trade up and go into a 70, 80 unit deal where you can afford the full time third party management and all those stuff and not start with a 20 unit, which is not fun. So from what I hear, so. It's not fun. We haven't, <laughs> but you know, you learn a lot with them. And if you make a yeah. you can recover. Um, the one thing that I've seen though, is like a lot of people pay that amount of money and then they just get the opportunity to raise money for other people's deals and they don't actually right. lead. And so my thing is, let me go figure out how to lead a smaller deal and then use that experience to build on. And you know, that, that's what we've been doing with the folks. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, there's multiple ways. I mean, there's, there's w many ways to get into it where, the, um, cause it's, it's definitely a team sport, multifamily. So you can get into it. I mean, a whole bunch of different ways. Yeah. So I don't know if you have a specific deal you want to talk through, but the thing that you led with is I got frustrated with property management. So I bought my own. <laughs> I don't know which way you want to go, but that was really intriguing for me. Okay. Well, um, well, I mean, I can talk about that too. They, I wasn't, I had another one in mind, an actual property specific one, but we can talk about that too. Third party management. The, uh, um, it's a very fractured business, um, you know, industry, multifamily management. There's a lot of like just media crappy to mediocre, you know, players out there. Um, I think this actually, when you go through a crisis like this, it's going to show who's the good management and who's the bad management. Um, so I think we're going to see that play out over the next probably three to six months. Um, on that, but um, I mean, I'm, I'm an accountant by trade, um, and so if if you can't, um, I, I got frustrated with the two or three uh, private management companies we use down here in Dallas Fort Worth uh, because their accounting would never be right. They'd always have capex stuff above the line. I'd have to I'd have to correct it every single month, and and this I just got frustrated because they um, uh, they wouldn't listen to me. So if they don't listen to you, uh, you go buy one. So. <laughs> Uh, and the option, the other option was to start your own. And that, that was going to be like an 80 hour a week, you know, time suck. And so I, I just figured it's well worth it. Just go, go buy into one and help, help mold it uh, from afar. It already had a CEO that ran all the day-to-day -day stuff. Um, they already had the, uh, a great accounting system. They had, you know, they had all the, all the basics there that we could build off of. So what was attractive about the company that you purchased and what were some of the tweaks or changes you made in order to make it more of what you wanted to see from a property management standpoint. Yeah. Um, so one, I just hit it off with, with the other, with, with the, with the owner and the founder. Um, I definitely hit it off with him on a personal level. Um, we're cut from the same cloth. And so anyway, so, so that was great. But also too, they had actually um, on the deal, I was, I was voted in to save a deal in Oklahoma city. Um, there was another, uh, it was actually a coach of a guru guy um, just handed over the keys to me to turn it around. So, um, but before he did that, he got in this management company, Allied Property Management. Um, and, and so, but then two weeks later, he just handed over the keys to me to do the asset management because we had bought a deal a, a mile and a half south 
up there in Oklahoma City, um, 148 units, and his was 84. So he said, look, you know, you're close enough, you know, just just go do it. So anyway, so we did it. So we turned around, but, um, and, and, and I take some of that credit, but really, you know, kind of the on the ground stuff, I can, I got to see up front, up, up, up front and close um, and personal um, was uh, dealing with Allied and, and how they did that turnaround. And so we got that thing at 78% occupancy in, in, in October. And then by January, it was like 92% occupied. So Oklahoma City is not like a, a fast leasing town. It's, you know, and, and then it's also, that's the dead month too. So to go from 78 to 92 over, you know, in that situation, I thought was great. Um, and then I just, you know, like I said, I just hit it off. And so we, um, you know, we talked about doing that. I brought all my properties over to him. Um, and then, you know, now we've, uh, now we've really beefed up our staff. And so like our CFO, um, now for Allied, um, was the CFO for the family Crow or the, 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 the Crow family trust, uh, for 20 years, which is pretty awesome. He, the Crow family, I don't know if y'all know him, but, uh, but the Crow family is a, uh, is like Dallas royalty, uh, in, in real estate here. Uh, so that was pretty awesome, uh, awesome to land. And then our VP of operations, uh, came from Lincoln property groups. He worked there for about 15 to 20 years. Uh, before coming over to us. So it's kind of cool to kind of start seeing that um, and kind of trading up and, and getting, you know, better and better employees. Wow. That's awesome. And so, you know, what it sounds like is there was alignment of values. He had a service and skill set that was complementary to what you needed. And that kind of mesh and created opportunity for you guys to uh, join forces and make a superhero. Right. Well, at that, that time too, for him, for his side, I, I brought in all my units or the or all the ones in Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Um, and so that, that basically doubled his unit count. So it all of a sudden made him from, you know, 1500, 1700 units back then to 3,400, which is a huge, I mean, to be profitable in management, you got to have two to 3000 units to be profitable. Um, so it was a way we could both kind of, it was a win-win for both of us. That's awesome. Sorry to take you on a tangent, but no, that's okay. <laughs> property management is the end all be all and whether your deal is successful or not. And you kind of shook your head towards that when you said, Hey, you know, I, I was asset manager, but ally did a lot of the day to day stuff on the turnaround. So right. let's talk about that deal that you wanted to speak about in particular. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was our second deal. Uh, second syndication deal it was 133 units in Denton, Texas. Um, we bought it for um, 34 door uh, back in 2013. So, so yes, it was cheap. And but back then too, it was it was really a D class deal. You know, to be honest, no one no one admits that, but it really was. It was a D class deal. Uh, but um, um, it just because like due diligence, we were walking through one of the units was a three bedroom. We counted 16 mattresses in this three bedroom unit. Uh, they were all lined up against the wall. Uh, so I just imagine every night they have to do this Tetris kind of game to figure out how to fit all the mattresses in there. But that, that's kind of who was living there. That's who this landlord was, you know, what he was, what he was doing there. Um, so anyway, so we, we knew we had a, a, a big issue there on the management side. Uh, we also knew there's about a quarter million dollars worth of foundation work um, going into it. Um, so, we, so we had all these issues that we knew we were going to tackle. Um, so all that was great. We raised the money up front uh, for all of our rehab. Um, the biggest, the biggest hurdle that we hit with that deal, and it made me miss my first year cash flow projections on that deal, uh, was that, um, so we had to, on those foundation issues, we had to lift all four built or each building at the same time. So each building had to be lifted the whole building. Right. So, which meant that all, all of the bottom eight units had to be vacant at the same time. So we would, we, it seemed like every single building, all four buildings, we had one holdout on the bottom floor that would not move. And I mean, I, I offered them 500 bucks, a thousand bucks to move. 
they wouldn't do it. Um, and so we had to keep the whole bottom floor vacant of that building until their lease expired and we can non-renew them, right? Um, so that, that, that killed us. Um, What's up guys, it's your host Jerome. I just wanna let you know we launched Myers Methods in the fall of 2019 with the ambition to inspire a new breed of multifamily investor. If you are interested in getting into multifamily or scaling your current business, hop over to our website at MyersMethods.com to grab your free four-step guide on how to get the ball rolling in multifamily. Now let's get back to the episode. Um, on that um, but that was the biggest learning the learning thing was was having to if you're going to raise a building uh the whole building it's got to be vacant on the bottom floor and so to keep that keep that in mind in your uh, cash flow projections because uh that 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 held us back a little bit by not being able to strike a deal with those folks i even offered them to like move them myself like look i will move you myself uh, <laughs> for the moving company you know I'll, i threw all kinds of stuff at them and they just wouldn't move so uh so it really hurt our uh, our first year cash flow um, we ended up doing like a 4X on that deal. We sold it in January, this January. Uh, so it was a 4X return to investors. But uh, that first year, we definitely kind of missed our um, our cash flow uh, projections on that deal. Um, we also found like 14 sewer line breaks. We had to fix those. So anyways, that that's what was causing the foundation issues. But anyways, it was, uh, that was our learning. That was probably one of our biggest kind of rehab learning, our uh, learning, uh, uh, learning points uh, on, on a deal. Now, I, I got to ask, you guys weren't scared of the foundations? <laughs> so in Texas, uh, in Texas, we have really bad soil. Uh, so it's not, um, if you, it's not if you have a foundation problem, it's when you have a foundation problem uh, here in Texas. So it's more of a norm down here to have foundation issues. Um, like when you buy a property um, down here, uh, um, you know, and you're probably going to spend, I mean, Depends how, it, how, how, how new it is, but even we've just bought an A-class deal um, two years ago, at the end of 2018, we bought an A-class deal um, and it had 20, 30K worth of foundation stuff we had to fix. Um, but it's kind of the norm down here. So it's not a, you know, we have, we have assets in Ohio and if, if we see an uh, uh, asset in Ohio have a foundation issue, um, that, that's a big deal. Uh, in Texas, it's the norm. We just have really bad soil down here, so. So is the soil like shrink soil? Shrink soil? Yeah, it's like it's clay. It's expansive clay. Okay. The whole state, basically. So. Wow, that's um, that's wild, and you guys aren't scared of it. You you'll just go ahead and jack it up. And so, tell me about that process. Like, how do you actually fix it? Uh, so you've got to. Uh, we had to do interior uh, uh, interior piers, and so we had a cart. We had and it was a slab. You know, it's a concrete slab. So you got to cut out uh, squares of the slab obviously take up all the flooring um, and then um, and then jack it up, jack the whole building up at once um, and then re, you know, fill in the slab there, um, redo the flooring, all that kind of stuff. So it's a big project. <laughs> so they like, they pour piers and then they retie the slab to the piers. Right, exactly. And this is civil engineering at its finest, man. Yeah, right. Yeah, we had uh, we had two or three engineers go out and check it out for us to see how the scope is because they all will tell you something different. So, um, wow. Yeah. So you you said you had to get all eight units vacant at the same time. Did you prior to purchasing it were you able to like see where the leases expired or did you know we the did? And that was the, that was the mistake, right? That was the mistake that, that I did um, that I didn't take into account was that you know these buildings that had foundation issues um, were going to, have to be all vacant at the same time. And so we 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 knew the information. I just didn't it just didn't translate for me over to you know the rehab part of actually doing the uh, those building you know 
raising those buildings. Minor detail, Kenny. Minor yeah, right. Yeah. So I had some explaining to do to the investors. Uh, but, you know, after that sale in January, you know, they were all pretty, pretty dang happy about it. So. I bet. Was this a two story walk up or what? Yeah, it's a two story deal. Yeah, two story garden style. Uh, built 1968, which is pretty old here for Texas. So it's an older, older building for us. You know, everybody keeps talking about, you know, the 60s and 70s being old. But I mean, are you guys tearing stuff down and putting up new? Like, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, in Texas, the only old building we have is the Alamo. Everything else is built like 1960s and newer. So <laughs> that's not all, all the way true. But mostly, um, the uh, uh, yeah, so we don't have a lot of 1960s and 70s. Or 60s are, are pretty old for Texas. Uh, just cause it's, cause it's, yeah, we, we tend to tear stuff down and build, build new, um, and mostly in Texas. So you'll, you won't see a lot of, we don't have a lot of just old kind of historic buildings. You will downtown and places like that, but, um, the population boom in Texas didn't really come about until um, the air conditioner was invented. Um, and, and, and that's, and that's no joke that like, look, look that up, uh, for those that are want to research it, but it's true. Uh, so, um, so really that was around 50s, 60s and that kind of, you know, that really, uh, drove the population increase here. Wow. Was there any process improvement change? Because I assume you still buy stuff that has issues with foundations. Have you guys modified your process or implemented anything from a property management standpoint to keep this from happening again? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so one, you know, um, now, yeah, we, we haven't bought another deal where we had to raise an entire building. Uh, we haven't bought one like that. Um, the other ones have been just like corner pieces where you don't have to um, where you don't have to um, have any vacant units. You can just go underneath and jack it up there if you need to touch it up. But um, so yes, I mean if we have if we have if we buy another one that needs the whole building raised, uh, we will for sure uh, make sure to calculate that into our first year cash flow is to have them have those vacant. Wow. Um, so. We had a building. We bought a building in Virginia that had a similar issue. Except it was a corner and. Okay it sunk so much that it snapped the sewer line. Oh, yeah. So, you know, people had sewage backing up into their units and we didn't get it when we closed. Like, we were like, oh, we see like the stains and stuff, but we just thought that the previous property owner didn't fix it after maybe somebody was putting fiber in and drilled through the outflow line or something. But then it all made sense when we started making the transition. Right. like 30 or 40 grand, but you know, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to love that. Uh, love those days when you get those, uh, those bids for that, that kind of work. So, uh, but that's why you got to have that rainy day fund. Right. So we always raise extra, uh, to, and just put it into a, uh, we use chase, but one of those, you know, checking account that makes it nothing. Uh, but, uh, but it's good to have that because you've, you've got to have that rainy day, you know, cushion. How much extra, what's extra for you guys? How much extra do you raise? So I try to do about at least uh, two to three months of expenses. Okay. Just sits there. Um, sometimes we do more. If it's a heavy rehab, we'll do more than that. Um, if it's a light rehab, that's kind of our, our threshold is, is that number. But the heavier the rehab, we like to pad, pad the whole thing as many places as we can to, to you know, make sure we got it, got it right. So we don't have those $30,000. Well, so when we do have those $30,000 surprises, uh, you know, uh, we, can, we, get them, we got them covered. I really appreciate your word choice when we do. I think a lot of people think, hey, we don't ever have any issues. And that's the whole point of the podcast. Like we can have stellar operators like you come on and say, hey, look, this happened. You know, we fixed it. 
and we moved on and then we make sure that we don't make the same mistake again but there's no reason for me to go make the same mistake that you made on lifting up a whole building right right yeah don't do that <laughs> <laughs> so and this is always interesting so so that balance on the rainy day fund like there's some dilution of equity you know when there you is yeah yeah there is um and then so if it's if we're a pad if we uh, when we pad the rehab number um and we do that you know that construction um and a you know 12 to 18 months typically um if we have extra we'll, we'll 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 return that capital to the investors on the rehab side um on the operating you know rainy day fund um we tend to just keep that all the way through um and it's because it's yeah it probably waters it down by maybe like five ten percent but it, but everybody sleeps better at night so it's a much better way to go better to have a little dilution of equity than a capital call exactly right amen <laughs> yeah. those are no fun so um kenny what would you if you had to give some words of wisdom to some folks who are in the space either getting in or looking to scale uh what would you share with them um so you know going picking on the gurus again uh they all tell you asset management is easy um it's not uh it's a full-time gig um and but so which is fine if you enjoy it so you got to really enjoy the asset management and getting getting dirty sometimes and you know and charging in um it's a people business so you got to have you have to have people skills or be able to learn those people skills um, whenever we have an issue on a on a property it's always people whether it's um, ours or the residents or neighbors or it's always a people issue right so um, so you have to be a people person, be able to connect, um, be down to earth, I think helps, especially well on the maintenance side and connecting with those guys um, is always, uh, is always a, a, a perk to do as well. Um, but it's, it's not the buy, buy a big time asset and take you like two, three hours a, a month to check on the management company. It's, it's a little bit more than that. So <laughs> You're telling all the secrets, man. I know. Sorry, man. <laughs> think the most difficult piece of asset management is I mean I, I think there's two pieces right there's the actual operational strategy execution piece of it and then there's the accounting piece which I would imagine is pretty intuitive for you because of your training but like where, where where's the rub for you um really it was for me it was when I got to about 2,500 units I felt like I, I, I was way too much for me um so I started hiring people so now now I have an asset manager uh, which is great. Uh, that's that's pretty awesome. So um, so he he has to do or he gets to deal with the uh, property and you know the insurance, the property taxes, um, and then uh, we both visit the properties um, quite a bit still. Um, he he more than me, but uh, but I still like to go and uh, and that way we can cover more ground uh, on our property visits because we are spread out, right? We own stuff in Cleveland, Ohio, Columbus, um, El Paso, Texas. You know, so we're so we can cover more ground with two of us. Um, as well. So that was a big help is to be able to um, have two people and cover way more ground. You're the first person I've talked to this across the country. What, how are you picking your market market? Um, you know, uh, we got into, you know, I was started out here in Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, I thought four or five years ago, the prices were high. So I was a little early. Um, so I, I just, I honestly, I looked at a map and said, what's the biggest MSA that's closest to Dallas, Fort Worth. So I drove up to Oklahoma city. Um, it's like about hour and 45 minutes um, uh, up there uh, one way. And then I drove it back that night and then on the way back. Um, so I like that market too, just driving around. Cause it was a lot of mom and pops. The whole, the whole, you know, city is all mom and pop owners, which is like, I mean, so they're not efficient on revenue and they're not efficient on expenses. So I was ready to, you know, mop up there. Um, the, uh, 
but on the way back, I had this aha moment. It's like, if I'm willing to drive, you know, an hour and a half, almost two hours one way, um, you know, and, and then back a day, what does it look like if I get on a plane? You know, so that, that really kind of took me like, you know, oh my gosh, I can, I can get to Ohio almost and Indiana and like all these other great markets. So it was like, uh, so really dug in. So actually the first market we bought outside of Dallas-Fort Worth is in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, so that kind of got me out thinking much bigger is like, oh my gosh, if we're buying these big assets like this, um, you know, I don't need to, I, I probably, when, when we first bought that deal in Colorado Springs, I, I flew to that property more often than we did with this, our 76 unit um, that we still own today. It's like 45 minutes away from my house. Uh, just because that one was, it's always 95, 98% occupied. You know, there's real, it's stable. There's nothing for me to go. I get in the way if I go to a property like that, right? Because uh, they're not leasing and they're not, you know, dealing with residents and all that. So I was actually more visiting more our deals in um, our, that was a big rehab deal in Colorado Springs we did. But um, so, but it, it, like, again, if you're willing to drive for an hour, two hours, I mean, what does that look like on a plane? Um, because we go to, I go to Columbus, Ohio, there and back in the same day, um, uh, which is a long day. That's a two hour flight. So you got to think that you got to hit all your properties and land and hit all the properties. Um, usually that means no lunch. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and, and then back on the plane that night. So, but usually I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm home the same night, which is nice for the family. For you to go into a new market, how many doors would you require or do you require? Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good, um, uh, question. So I, I just got to pitch the deal. It's an A-class deal, um, in Arkansas. Right. Um, so again, like it's in hot springs, so it's a touristy town. Right. So, um, but he goes, it's 89 units. I'm like, 89 units that's that's on the border now if it was 80 is if it's 80 something units for a, like a b or c and i probably wouldn't do it but and on a you're going to collect enough revenue where that probably translates to maybe 120 units maybe 150 um so that's kind of our threshold is 120 150 somewhere it, i mean the real number is if you can afford a full-time on-site manager and maintenance um if you're if you're buying a 50 unit in a different state I mean, I, I don't know if I would do that because um, I, I always want our properties to have its own staff and not have to share um, share staff if we can. You brought it full circle back to property management problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. It's a it's a big deal. Uh, it's a big deal. That's awesome, Kenny. I don't. Do you have any wrapping up thoughts? No, I mean, guys, stay stay calm out there. This is a great time to invest. I, I, I hear folks that are just clamming up, not buying anything. And we, I haven't seen this good a deal flow in a very long time. I mean, we're looking at six deals right now. Um, two of them, we're just going to take, uh, possibly to take over their loans uh, in Cleveland. So they're going to, they're just going to walk away from some of these deals. Um, I do think it's a, it's a tale of two cities on deal flow. So I think the stable, nicer assets are going to ride out this short kind of recession pretty quick. Um, the ones that were struggling beforehand are going to have a big issue. Um, so those are the ones that we're, we're looking at. Um, but we, again, we've got six of them on our desk, uh, looking at these uh, from Lubbock to Cleveland to some in Arkansas. So, uh, so uh, say, uh, everybody stay healthy, wealthy, and wise out there too. Wow, that's awesome, Kenny. Thank you very much. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank you, Jerome. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.